So we continue our Bible narratives this morning, as we've been doing for much of last year and this year. And we continue following the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. Exodus is just full of explosive, wonderful stories, and it's difficult to leave some out. But I've really just focused on some as we've been going through, as we look at the entire story as well. Just to remind you, we just left the Red Sea and uh, watched the entire Egyptian army being drowned. What an incredible miracle that is. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. Just going to f- visit a few scriptures until we, uh, well, as we look at some lessons this morning. Exodus 14, 31 says, And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared Yahweh and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So they've just come through this amazing time. And then we see Miriam with her tambourine, da-da-da-da, singing that incredible song to the Lord. And she ends with Exodus 15, 21, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Amazing stuff. I mean, just imagine the scene. Lots of joy, lots of exuberating, and plenty faith. All of these people. I mean, here they were at the Red Sea. Can't go forward. Can't go back because there's an army behind them. Can't go either way because of the mountain ranges. And Moses stretches out his staff. The sea parts. They go through the sea with a wall of water on either side. They turn around once they're all through. They see the entire Egyptian army drown. I mean, they are so excited and so full of faith. Doesn't take long. (laughs) Sound like you? (laughs) Certainly sounds like me. Doesn't take long and they get to this place called Mara where the water is bitter. Uh, The Lord shows Moses the piece of wood. I'm just reminding you of the story as we go. And he throws the water into this piece of wood into this bitter water. And the water becomes sweet. And then he tells the people in Exodus chapter 15 verse 26. He says, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands, And keep all his decrees. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Yahweh Raph. I am the Lord who heals you. No need for hospitals. No need for doctors in those days. Just listen to what the Lord says. Do what is right. And I am your Yahweh Rath, your the Lord who heals you. Lesson number one this morning. Blessing is often conditional. Blessing, our blessing that we find in the scriptures is most often conditional. While it's true that we have been, according to Ephesians 1.3, blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know how I go on at, at 
nauseam that I don't pray, bless you, bless you, because we have been blessed. It's a, a settled for all time thing in Christ Jesus. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That, that, is, that is signed and sealed. When it comes to practical issues, sometimes I think we miss the plot and we miss the essence of the Scripture. For example, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So, do I want to walk along paths that are straight? Ah, there's a condition here. <laughs> See, the blessing of walking along a straight path is only is dependent upon a condition. And the condition is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try and rationalize this and work it out by yourself for yourself. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In everything you do, your whole life, your whole existence, your whole being should be acknowledging God. And then what happens? I walk on straight paths. Can you see the conditional blessing? Take another one. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. How many of you haven't needed wisdom over the last 13 months since lockdown? I mean, it must be my most prayed prayer. Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. So if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But then it says, but there's our condition. There's our conditional promise. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord, He's a double-minded man, <laughs> unstable in all he does. How many double-minded, unstable people here this morning? Besides me. No one else double-minded and unstable? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think I need to be committed according to the Scripture, <laughs> you know, to one of those institutions that, that would look after me. Because sometimes I'm so unstable in my double-mindedness, after requesting from God wisdom and then wondering why I don't know what to do. Because I don't ask without doubt. Can you see the conditional blessing? Then the Scripture's full. If we wait, then God provides. If we trust, then God directs. If we commit, God establishes. If we obey, He blesses. If we delight in Him, He grants favor. If we endure, He will reward, etc., etc. I mean, it's just full from the beginning to the end. If we continue. If we, if we, if we. I think Deuteronomy 28 is the clearest picture that we have uh, in one place in the whole Scripture of God's conditional blessing. And dare I say, curses, or absence of blessing, or lack of blessing. Deuteronomy 28, and I read, we just read the first few verses. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow His commands I give to you today, the Lord your God will set you high above 
the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then it goes on to just pronounce blessing. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flock. I mean, this blessing just gushes over to everything. Not just you, everything in your sphere of influence. Verse 5, your basket, your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Down to verse 13, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord I give you this day. Verse 14, do not turn aside from any of the commands to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. So the first 14 verses in Deuteronomy 28, he's just blessing upon blessing upon blessing if. You know that the next 58 verses are God's pronouncement of curses for those who will not obey. It's just like, it just goes on and on and on of how he will with, withhold, how he will reject those who, who reject him, etc., etc. The bottom line is we simply cannot play God's game by our rules. We can't decide we're entering into this kingdom of God and then play it by our rules. It doesn't work. It's God's rule. It's God's kingdom. Blessing is not guaranteed, and it's most often conditional. So God sweet, in our story, God sweetens the water for them and says, if you do this, then I'll do that. But being people, what happens? Very soon after this, the Israelites are grumbling again. And this time, in our story as we're proceeding Exodus, they're grumbling about food. Lesson number two then, is that grumbling and ingratitude in our lives is always against God. Grumbling and ingratitude, it's against God. It's saying to God, I don't like my lot in life. And it's a common thread throughout the story of Israel, the Bible, and indeed our own lives. Can I have a show of hands? Again, some honest people. It's so easy for us to forget God's blessing and to complain and to grumble. Just think about the last time you grumbled about anything. Who, which husband or wife wants to say something about what happened in the car this morning? Let's get a practical example. <laughs> Somebody on the way to church this morning grumbled about something. Who wants to declare? <laughs> Just think about the last time you grumble. It's inevitably, it's against the situation, the circumstances, my physical ailment, or whatever it is. I'm grumbling about something. All it says is, I've forgotten about God's goodness. I'm no better than the people of Israel in that desert, at that, in their desert experience. When we do that, when we complain, when we grumble, we are grumbling against Him. We are grumbling against the lot He's given us. We are grumbling against our, our whatever, saying, God, what you've done is not good enough. So we pick up the story in Exodus 16.3. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
you've got to understand, this isn't years later. This is shortly after they've come out of 10 miraculous plagues, out of crossing the Red Sea, of having the bitter waters turned into sweet waters. They are now already complaining. Oh, if only God had killed us in Egypt. I mean, how fickle are they? How incredibly stupid. I mean, we're looking at them and saying, how are they? But let's think about ourselves. Think about the miracle of waking up this morning. I mean, how many people went to the fridge or the bread bin or the jam larder or whatever else and thought, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Not because you've got nothing. You didn't ask the question, is there anything to eat for breakfast? You didn't ask, what am I going to eat today? You, uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, is there anything to eat? You asked, what am I going to eat in the sense of, well, I've got all these things to choose from. What shall I do? Is that not a miracle? I went on to world, Worldometer. You must do it sometime. Google Worldometer. And you just see statistics of people being born and just, just flicks over like this. And people being died. It flicks over like that. People, what are you laughing at me? Hmm? People being died. Yes, when you're married to an English teacher. I also majored in English, eh? <laughs> this is a new English. <laughs> this is an American English that I speak now. <laughs> Got no rules. <laughs> Sorry, Glenn. <laughs> people being died. At this worldometer, you see as well people dying from starvation. As you're looking at, numbers are climbing up on the screen of people dying of starvation. It's like every second or whatever, millisecond, there are people dying. Today, so many thousand. When I looked early in the morning a couple days ago, it was something like nine in the morning, 15,000 something people had already died from starvation on that day. And you tell me your food in your refrigerator or your bread bin or your, your jam or whatever is not a miracle of God. How quickly we forget His kindness and His faithfulness. Oh, I want rump steak. I don't want fillet steak, you know. Yeah. If only we had died by the Lord's hand, Exodus 16.3. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us, Moses, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <laughs> I mean, you can just gather their anger. Miracle upon miracle. You know, there were about 600,000, well, the Bible says 600,000 men who came out. 600,000 men plus 600,000 wives makes 1.2 million people. Let's say being a good Jewish family, they each had five children. You've got 6 million people who came out. 6 million people had been cared for, looked after, drunk, water, etc., etc. 
Somebody has calculated, some clever person, that they would have needed 1,500 tons of food every day. I mean, that's a lot of food. 4,000 tons of wood to serve as fuel and 40 million liters of water every day to keep God's people alive. 40 million liters of water every day. And they'd been through these miracles. And yet they were grumbling. Well, let's not talk about what happened when they needed the loo. Especially when the scripture was clear, they had to go outside the camp <laughs> and dig a hole and cover it. Imagine running through six million people or being in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So God sends them manna. Every single morning they woke up. You read the story. Every morning they woke up, there was manna on the ground. The Bible describes manna as white like coriander seed and tasting like wafers made with honey. Sounds like quite a nice diet. They were to collect only as much as they needed for the day and twice as much before the Sabbath. If they ever collected more, it would turn into maggots. It would go rotten. So they had to trust God every single day. They trusted Him just for so much. The day before the Sabbath, they got twice as much. That amount never went rotten. But if they did it on any other day of the week, it would go rotten. And God fed them for 40 years in the desert. Anyway, the Bible says they came out of the desert, camp at a place called Rephidim. There was no water there, and the grumbling started again so badly that they wanted to stone Moses. Moses asks them, why are they testing God again? 1 Corinthians 10 refers to this and it says, We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. It seems that those who tested the Lord were killed by snakes. But God is so offended by grumbling that the destroying angel went and killed those people. I mean, this is like, this is like serious stuff. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10 says, These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So the opposite to me of grumbling <coughs> and ingratitude and forgetfulness is quite simply contentment. If you are content, you're not going to grumble. If you are happy with your lot in life, if you are, are content, it says, I trust Him. I know He's watching over me. He has me in the palm of His hand. I am the apple of His eye. That's contentment. And it's quite distinct from grumbling. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, Godliness with content contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. You've never seen pantechnicans lined up behind a hearse, have you? I've never seen them. People who are in that hearse, who's got rows of trucks carrying all their world, worldly possessions behind them. It doesn't work like that. Naked you come, and naked you go. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, Godliness with contentment is of great gain. 
When we grumble, we grumble, friends, against God. Beware. Be joyful always, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for you is? Well, study the Scripture. Romans 2 tells us that. Renew your mind with the Word of God, and you'll know what His will is. But here we can see it so succinctly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, lesson number three, watch out for grumbling. Lesson number, no, lesson number two. Lesson number three, God is specific and not open to our suggestions. You Israelites in the desert, <laughs> God is specific and not open to our suggestions. Moses asked God what he must do this time when they wanted to stone him. And God tells him in Exodus 17, and I read from verse 5. He tells them, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Obviously, the scripture tells us, when he struck the water, what happened? Water gushed through from the rock. Miracle stuff. Another miracle for people to witness. But he had specific instructions. Walk on ahead, take some elders, take that same staff you used at the Nile, strike the rock, and wah, they have water. Now Numbers chapter 29, uh, chapter 20, I beg your pardon, tells us a similar story. It's not the same story. It's a different place entirely. This story in Numbers occurs in Kadesh in the des desert of Zin. But the same old, same old is happening the people are grumbling against Moses, longing for Egypt, and just being a pain in the you-know-what. Numbers chapter 20, and I read from verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, different story, not the same as the one where he was told to strike the rock. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, and gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out water. The last time they had an issue, God said, strike the rock. He struck it. Water came out. This time they've got a problem with water. God says, speak to the rock, and it will pour out as water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, and so they and their livestock can drink. Verse 9, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together, Everything's going exactly on track as God had specifically said up to this point. And then Moses loses the plot. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? Now he's, the, he's cross. Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice doof, doof, with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you 
will not bring this community into the land I will give them. Amazing. God in his mercy still brings water out of the rock, even though Moses is disobedient and doesn't follow those instructions. The Bible is full of specifics, friends. And it's not our place to alter these based upon our cultural or other misunderstanding. It's not our place to alter them because we're upset or we're uh, confused or we're anything. If the Bible says it, it simply means it. And it's up to us to obey it. I don't want to go down the whole path that we do from time to time, but just some of the local issues that we're dealing with now uh, in our society. I was born that way. No, you were not born that way. (laughs) Yes, in fact, you were born that way. I've changed my stance on this. People were born that way. We were all born that way, with a natural bent towards sin. Our hearts are naturally leaning towards things that we shouldn't do. If God says man and woman, we say man and man. If God says do not lie, we will be deceptive. If God says do not commit adultery, we will just do whatever we want to do. Why? Because our hearts are naturally bent on evil. And without a Savior, we have no hope. Without a Savior, we are bound in our sin and unable to break free from it. And no matter how much I want to do the right thing, I cannot do the right thing because I was born that way. True. But we have a Savior. And He's got a kingdom that He invites us into. And His kingdom has a set of rules. He has His own constitution for His own kingdom. And He requires me to obey that. Culture now says, no, we make it so everybody can be inclusive. God is not inclusive. God is exclusive. God is particular. There is no sin that is allowed into his kingdom. He is a highly exclusive God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now you can talk love as much as you like. You can talk Muhammad or Buddha or Krishna or anybody else as much as you like. It's not going to alter the fact that the Constitution says there is no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. If you want to be a part of this kingdom, stick with the program. His rules, His ways, His kingdom. Now, just remind you that everything in his kingdom is designed to make me better, designed to equip me for my heavenly home. It's not designed to remove the fun out of my life, it's not designed to make my life more difficult. His constitution is there to free me from myself so that I can truly worship him. Lesson number four this morning. Sin is consequential, and the English people can argue with this one. Sin is consequential. See, Moses doesn't follow the specifics that he's supposed to. He gets angry, and instead of speaking to the rock like he did previously, he hits it, not even once like he did previously. He hits it twice. He goes 
much further than what God told him to do. And yet, amazingly, the grace and mercy of God still poured out, rock, uh, poured out water from that rock for the people's sake, not for Moses' sake, for the people's sake, in spite of Moses' arrogance. But he loses the right to lead the people into the promised land. The best he got was to stand and have a look at it in the distance. Friends, sin always has consequences. It always has consequences. Every time we choose to do something against what the Word of God says, it has consequences. We can walk in forgiveness, but very often that consequence is ours to bear. If you don't believe me, go and murder somebody today. <coughs> Ask God to forgive you, and He will. But you're going to sit in jail for 25 years. I think you should hang by the neck until dead, but that's person, my personal thing. Maybe one day we should talk about the death penalty <laughs> and get some of you really riled up. I believe in the death penalty. Sin always has consequences. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, and we're nearly done. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. He's writing to believers. Those examples are set there for us. It's not for the non-believers. So believers, I call to you today. Believers, I, I say to you today, sin is consequential. And if you make those decisions that are against the constitution of heaven, you can expect to face the consequences. And yes, God is loving. And yes, God is gracious and kind. And yes, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is all true. But don't expect Him to wipe away the consequence. He still provided water for the people when Moses did what he wasn't supposed to do. And the best Moses could do was see the nation, the country, the land, that he had longed for all his life. I mean, think what Moses had been through. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and now another 40 years with these rebellious people. And all he wanted to do was get to the land. This was his destiny. This is what he knew he was born for. And he never got to see it. Why? Because he disobeyed. God said, do it like this. And he said, I'm going to do it like this. Sin is consequential. So as we shut down this morning, let me remind you of some of these things that we've spoken about. Number one, blessing is most often con uh, conditional. Blessing is most often conditional. You're expecting God to bless you, but you're not following <coughs> the pattern of His Word. If you're not doing what He's told you to do, then don't expect that whatever the blessing is that you're looking for. 
even though we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Don't expect the wisdom. Don't expect the whatever it is if you're not following the pattern. Number two, grumbling is against God. Let's stop this grumbling thing. I know I'm guilty. I know <coughs> I'm an Israelite <laughs> because I can have the most sweetest, nicest water today and by tomorrow I'm already on another mission. Ah, water, you know. Let's stop the grumbling. And even if it is the council's fault and even if it, even if it is the taxi's fault and even if it is the whatever, whoever else's fault, let's remember that grumbling is ultimately against God saying that he doesn't know my situation. He doesn't know my condition. He doesn't know where I'm at. He doesn't know where I live. He doesn't know the roads upon which I drive. Of course he does. He knows it all. And he's, in his sovereignty, he allows and disallows, etc. Let's just trust him and get rid of this grumbling. Number three, I said God is specific. It's not open to our suggestions. Just stick with the book. Just do what the book says. And don't try and explain it away via cultural or other means. There is, after all, only one culture, and that's the culture of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is, after all, only one race, and that's the human race. From one man, he created everybody. I mean, let's just, let's just lose these differences now, once for all time, and get on with growing up in Jesus Christ. And be, God is not open to our suge suggestions. Number four, I said sin is consequential, and we don't want to go there. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord, thank you that you have given us the privilege this morning of spending some time worshiping you in song, worshiping you in being able to see one another, worshiping you in loving one another, even if we greet by touching elbows or not. Thank you for the privilege today, Lord, of being together and being able to worship you in our tithes and offerings, in our time. And Lord, we just come to worship you. And thank you as well for the privilege of being able to worship you in the reading of your word and the understanding of what you're saying to us. And thank you that you forgive us, Lord, where we miss the plot. Forgive us where we think we can get away with it because we're a special case where we are more entitled than the next person, where perhaps if there are enough of us, you'll change your mind and change your word. Maybe even where we thought there are no consequences for our bad choices. Lord, forgive us. We are acutely aware this morning as we look at your word of your call to our hearts to come back, to place our faith and our trust firmly in you and in you alone, recognizing your word is fully inspired, the breath of God come to us, and we bless you for that. Honor you, Lord, Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship you with thanksgiving. Amen. 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 I had fun. I hope you had fun.
as you received his word deep in your hearts this morning. So now, according to Deuteronomy 28, if you are careful to obey everything I've commanded you, now you can look at somebody and say, you are the head and not the tail. (laughs) First and not last. You'll lend to many, borrow from none. Blessed as you come, blessed as you go. In Jesus' name. Have a lovely, lovely day. Bye-bye.